See? 
high. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. He is still resurrecting sinners. Hallelujah, all day long. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. You do turn bones into army. Hallelujah. Woo, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Wow, let's sing, I speak Jesus. Just wanna name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Oh, I just want speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom come on and sing
just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within his presence I speak Jesus Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Just lift up that thing on your heart. Just speak Jesus over it. Hallelujah. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life, life more abundantly. Whatever might be in threat of being stolen or destroyed, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise you, Jesus.
we just welcome your surgery this morning. We ask you cut it out, cut it away. Lord, we would rather walk through this life without eyes than to let our eyes keep us from you, Lord. Lord, we ask you for your divine surgery this morning, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord.
Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus.
may be seated. That was so good. I want to read you a scripture that the Lord put on my heart just a few minutes ago while we were worshiping. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Holiness. You know, there's that talk about the, those that would take the grace of God and turn it into a license to sin. But we won't do that, not here. Because his word is true. It says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. That's a root of bitterness. Defiled by a root of bitterness. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And so forth. Hebrews 12, the New Testament. The Lord expects of us what he has given us the power to have. That's his holiness. That's his way of walking. We can have that. And if there's anyone here or anyone that's watching that needs to repent of something in your life that's not holy, that is a precursor to the Lord being able to work in your life in the way that he needs to work, in the way that you want to work. For you to get closer to the Lord. The word says, God himself, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. This is one of the ways that we draw near to him. This better be A of the A, B, C, D, E, F through Z. This better be A. Once you've gotten saved, Holiness is the way God wants us to walk. If there's something in your life that's not that, turn to him because he cares. And he already knows, and he hasn't rejected you. You. From the things the devil wants to use to destroy you. Don't let the devil destroy you. I give you another tool this morning, right before we go to prayer. You know, we say all the time here, we'll make a, a declaration, we'll say something, and I'll tell you, say, I receive it, right? I want you to learn how to do the opposite of that, too. You need to learn how to say, I don't receive that. When a thought comes to you that is, that is a thought that makes you afraid, that's not from God. Just say, I don't receive that, and go on. I don't receive that. When a thought comes to you that's unholy, that didn't come from God. You need to learn to say, I don't receive that. I don't. When a thought comes to you of how, how feeble you are and how unable you are to do the things that God wants you to do, you need to say, I don't receive that. Because it's not your power or your anything that you walk in. It's the power of God that you walk in. It, he's the one that gives you the ability to do whatever you need to do. Whatever you're discouraged by today, 
I want you to turn that thing on its head because that didn't come from God. Encouragement comes from God. Encouragement for you to, to be different, for you to be forgiven, for you to walk in freedom, for you to walk in holiness, for you to walk in great expectation. Charles Dickens wasn't the one that should have penned that title. Of course, his was great expectations. Ours is too. We expect great things in our lives, in our families' lives, in our country, in our world, because who is ultimately in charge? Our God. The word says that the nations are the Lord's. The nations belong to the Lord. If you have an idea in your mind and you've heard it somewhere that everything's going down the drain immediately and there is no help for it, just say, I don't receive that. God didn't send his son to the cross to save this world to just at the first sign of trouble, let it go. There was, there's been trouble all along in history. It's part of the human experience. It's part of the, the, the thing of the world, governments rise and fall and all that. This country was, was started for a reason. God had a reason to start this country in a godly way. And he is not done with us. When you have a thought or hear something to the contrary of that, I want you to just to say, I don't receive that. I want you to say it out loud. Say it with me right now. I don't receive that. Because God is not unable to do the thing that needs to be done. And he will do it in a way that we never expected. We'll say, oh, I never would have done it that way, Lord. You are amazing. I never even thought of that, Lord. You are amazing. Lord, you had a plan all along. You know, when Jesus came to the earth, the devil didn't know what he was here for. He knew who he was, but he didn't know what he was about. And the Bible says that if he had known, he wouldn't have allowed Jesus to go to the cross. He orchestrated that whole thing to his own demise. God knew what would happen. And he hid it from the devil, what the Son of God was doing here. And all the devil could think of was kill him, kill him, kill him. That's right. He died for us. He did it because of God's plan that had been in place before the world was ever created. And he's got a plan for you and your family and this country and the world right now. And that plan is to not sit by until the devil has it completely destroyed. But he wants to partner with us. Would you stand with me this morning? He wants to partner with us to do the impossible, to do the unthinkable. And that doesn't mean you have to figure out what it is so you can pray for it specifically. Get over that idea. Pray for God to bring justice. Pray for God to, to, to save this world and your family and our loved ones and every situation that you're concerned about and every situation that you should be concerned about. Because sometimes we get so wrapped up in ourselves that we forget there's a world out there that is suffering and has no one to stand in the gap for them. 
because they're not in their family, because they don't know them personally. Realize that you can pray for people you don't even know. When a situation comes to your mind, start praying for people in that situation, wherever they are, this country or another, it doesn't matter. God will hear your prayers and heaven will show the amazing things that came to pass because you dared to pray and you dared to believe and you dared to say to the enemy, I don't receive that when he came and told you you had no right to do that. He's a liar. Father, we bring all of the things that concern us to you this morning. Lord, whether it would be our, ourselves, our families, our neighborhoods, something in our community, Lord, something in this state, this country, this world, Lord, all of the things that we're concerned about, we bring them to you en masse and we put them in your hands because you are the only one with any kind of answer that will work long term. Lord, we give it to you and we say to the enemy, I don't receive your, your lies. I don't receive the things that you try to tell me to discourage me. I don't receive that. It's not true. I receive all of the promises that you have in your word because that is what you've given to me to live my life by. In Jesus' name, we declare good things. We declare salvations, Lord. We declare that situations that are such a mess that nobody could ever figure it out, Lord, you are a master at that kind of thing. I declare that those things will be figured out and will be sorted out and will be untangled in Jesus' name and made right. I declare open doors where there was no door there. I declare closed doors that will be welded shut and blocked off and never opened again in Jesus' name. I declare an answer to the deepest needs of our soul, Lord. I declare that those of us that are struggling with things that we don't know how to deal with will have an answer in the form of the wonderful Holy Spirit who resides in us and helps us through every situation. In Jesus' name, Lord, we declare justice for this country. In Jesus' name, we declare justice for the world, Lord. We declare justice for those that cannot speak for themselves and don't know to. We declare, Lord, that people will be set free that don't even know there's a God to cry out to in Jesus' name and saved in the, in the name of Jesus, Lord, and changed and that the things that they've been through will not even scar them, that they will come out of the horrid things that they've had to deal with, not even smelling like smoke because of you. In Jesus' name, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to touch our hearts this morning. We pray that you would anoint our pastor as he speaks, oh God. We pray, Lord, that you anoint our ears and our hearts to hear and to understand. And as always, Lord, to leave this place never to be the same again. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You need to quit preaching my sermons, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, she's fire. She's on fire. Listen, people. Tuesdays at 10.30. 10.30, right? Tuesdays, at t if you're ladies only, ladies only, Tuesdays, 10.30. And these women, I don't know because I can't 
come and see. But I hear stories of great things. So ladies are on fire in this place. And I'll tell you what, when you start praying, ladies, pray that the men catch a fire too because it would be a good thing for the men to catch on fire. Amen? Hallelujah. Are you happy? Hallelujah. Say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Woo. Well, I think we can go home now. <laughs> oh, praise God. I had all kinds of things to say to you, but I don't remember. I don't remember them now. But I am sure thankful. Yeah, I'll get to all of those. But we want to, uh, oh, I want to welcome. It. We've got a visitor with us. John's from Indiana. Or no, David, David from Indiana. David's He's a truck driver passing through. He just found us on his trip home. But we'll pray that the Lord brings him back to us next year again. He's from Fort Wayne. Anybody from Fort Wayne? Anybody been to Fort Wayne? All right. There's some people been to Fort Wayne. So praise God. And all the rest of us are family. It's all, it's good to be here. Amen? Hallelujah. Exciting things happening. God's up to some good stuff. Amen? Well, we're going to give this morning, and we're going to make a declaration. And uh, you that are watching, you have an opportunity to give as well. Let's just make it an online and an in-house activity that we do. If you're online, there's ways that you can do that right from where you're seated. Or if you're driving, don't do it till you pull over. But, <laughs> but um, anyway, for us that are here, we're going to make a declaration. So whatever you have to give this morning, let us speak into that thing. Let, don't just... Don't just do something randomly, but let's anoint it of it, anoint it, amen? Um, Jesus, th the word of God always talks about laying hands on. There's, there's something about that that I don't know that we even know the depth of it yet, but, but the Lord tells us to do that because there's, a po there's something powerful about laying on of hands. See? It's not just got to do with healing. But we can, with the power that's in our hand, in the, book of, in the book of Job, it says, out of the cleanness of your hands. So let's lay hands on what we're going to give today, and let's speak into that, that's sanctified and set apart for God's service. Amen? So as we receive today's offering, I am believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, for raises and bonuses, for benefits and salaries and commissions, and for favorable settlements, for estates and inheritances, for interest and income, for rebates and returns, and checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decrease, and blessings increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs that I might have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I release that to you. Say, I receive it in Jesus' name. Would you come and give today? <coughs>
I am so thankful for this. Whoa. I came up out of the barrel. <laughs> I'm thankful for this worship team, aren't you? I think they do an amazing, amazing job. Boy, you guys are doing great. I'm envious of that beard, you know. I'd really like to be able to have one of those, but I, I told him if I grew one of those, I'd just probably look like a homeless wino. Some people know how to wear them and some don't, right? So thank God that he gave some people the ability to look good in facial hair, but not everybody. Some of us don't. And all the ladies <laughs> said, amen. Well, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> hey, tonight is at 6 o'clock, 6.30 is our annual business meeting. So if you're a member, we want you to be here. If you're not and you want to just see what's going on, you're welcome to come too. So at 6.30, it'll not be a regular church service. We'll have our annual business meeting. So do come. Uh, the last Sunday of the month is going to be our annual missions convention and covered dish luncheon. So make sure you set your calendar for that. And it's going to be an international theme so you can dress the dress of a particular country if you want to. And uh, we'll have a missionary that day. There you go. See, they're right on top of the game. Thank you, Thomas. So be sure to set that aside on your calendar. Hallelujah. Are you happy? Now I want you to pay attention as our children go to the children's church. There is a growing group of young people and we are thankful for them and we're thankful for our children's ministry team. And so children, you're dismissed right now and we just bless you in Jesus' name. Oh, I, and I gotta, I gotta pray for the offering. Thank you, Liz. Before she leaves, she reminds me. So, praise God. Would you just reach out your hands <coughs> in Jesus' name. We, we lift this up to you, Lord, and we consecrate these, the tangible means of life and strength and hard work that we've converted into a way to give back to you. You're the one who enabled us to do this anyway. And so we set this aside now. We sanctify it for your service. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will, uh, you will do what your word says now and that you will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on everyone who has given today. May their needs be supplied according to your riches in glory, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just in simple faith to trust him, just to know, thus saith the Lord, sing it with me, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him more and more, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him 
more we need to trust him. I lit the fire, didn't I? <laughs> Sing it with us now, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him more and more, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you this morning for your presence, your manifest presence in this place. From from the time we got here, through the praise and worship and the, the presence of your Holy Spirit that we sensed in this place today. And now we receive what you have for us. We, we receive and we harvest from this atmosphere of your presence every need that we need to be supplied. Holy Spirit, I pray now for your unction and for your... Uh, leading and guiding into all truth. Hallelujah. Holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit. And they wrote the words in this book that didn't need proofreading or editing. They didn't need a ghost writer, but they were written perfectly the first time, and they're good to this day in every language throughout history. They're applicable to every society, to every dispensation. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray for an anointing to be on the words that are spoken today from your word to our hearts, that you will feed us what we need. We've come here from all different diverse walks of life, but Lord, your word applies to us all. So whatever I've planned, Lord, I pray that you will have freedom and permission to interrupt my thoughts with your words to your people this day in Jesus' name. Amen. The very last book of the, of the old is a named Zechariah. Zechariah was was the the last prophet we hear from until the book of Matthew begins. Five hundred and twenty years before Jesus came, was there was a. Well, there weren't any scriptures written in that space of time, but there was a lot going on. The world didn't stop. And God's always up to things, even though it doesn't seem as though we're getting a direct word. There were, there were uh, dispensations, there were seasons where the word of God was precious. In, 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 the in Samuel, it was like that. The word of God was precious. That means it was rare. And, but, you know, we don't have to suffer from a rarity of the word because we have it in our hands. And it's, it's good for today. But anyway, Zechariah lived in an interesting time. 
Do you know that Moses, and I've told you this before, this is a little bit of review for people who have been here, but Moses talked to a people who had lost their identity in Egypt. They were the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of the patriarchs. And, um, but they had, they had come into a culture uh, they weren't taken into slavery by force, but they sort of assimilated into the Egyptian culture and eventually they became absorbed by the culture and oppressed by the culture of Egypt and they, in doing so, they lost their identity as a family, as followers of the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'd, they lost all that. They were a people that were set apart by God and they were uh, heirs to the promise of Abraham, but they, they've forgotten all of that. They lost their way. He was an extremely gifted man because not only was he set apart, but his parents saw fit to separate him and sanctify him. But then he went into the house of Pharaoh was raised in the most forward-thinking culture of that time. He was raised at the king's table by the king's daughter. He was taught the cutting-edge wisdom of the day. And he understood protocol of living in a, in a palace. He understood the protocol of talking in the king's language. He was set apart, you see. He had an exclusive lifestyle, but yet he had this innate knowledge of who he was because his parents engraved that into him before he was weaned. Can you imagine? ...into Pharaoh's palaces, but he didn't forget who he was all the time he spent for 40 years, 40 years in Egypt. So a 40-year-old pretty much, do you remember when you were 40? Those, that was a good, those were good years, weren't they? I mean, you were at your peak then. You were at your prime. Could, how many would like to go back to 40 knowing what you know now? now? Some hands went up real fast, and some of you are still thinking about that. But, boy, if I had the strength, I was 40. And if I knew now what was going to happen and could have a little bit of the suppose I would. So Moses was in his peak, his prime at 40. He knew both sides. 40 years later, by the time he was 80, he came back to Israel and he wrote the first five books of the Bible to a people who had lost their identity. He was able to tap into resources uh, that the Holy Spirit gave him and human resources so he could reconstruct the history of the world back to creation. He was able to remember the names of the people from Adam all the way up to the present to his present day, so he had a vast uh, a 
ability to consume and retain knowledge and the and those first five books were the book of Zechariah because Zechariah is now in the position of having to help people who'd lost their identity again. Because now for they had been carried away to Babylon into captivity because of the backsliding of people for so long. And Daniel, the prophet, was living in Babylon, and he, by reading the historical books and the scriptures, was able, from the prophet Jeremiah, to discern that they were supposed to be in captivity for 70 years. And he did the math, and he discovered that they were getting close now to the end of that 70 years. And so Daniel pray. He prayed because he knew that, the, that their time of captivity was coming to an end, but he, he knew that they weren't ready to be set free. And so once again, he had to come to a people, and, and Zechariah picked up the ball and ran with it because once again, a people had lost their identity. This is, uh, this is true throughout the ages, isn't it? Satan has stolen from you your identity. And you don't know who that Zechariah encountered a people who had lost their identity because after they had been set free, as Daniel told them that was going to happen, they were given permission by the king to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and the temple. So they did that. They went back to Jerusalem and began to reconstruct it. Now, isn't that amazing that a heathen king would give the permission that the successors of these heathen kings that had taken them into captivity because of God's judgment now were the instrumental ones in setting them free and giving them permission and resources to go back home and reestablish their land. God is so good that way, doesn't he? He takes he takes the instrument that he used for judgment and he turns it into an instrument of freedom. Hallelujah. See, look forward to you free. And he'll use sometimes the most free. Hallelujah. Because that's just how he... See, God can do anything he wants to do. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad you serve God who can do anything he wants to do and he's got the power to do it? He wants to do it, too. Now, there's some people who could do things for you, but they don't want to. He wants to. I'm glad I serve a God who wants to. So they get back. They start rebuilding the temple and the city. But then the Samaritans opposed them. You know who the Samaritans were? Samaritans, what happened in the olden days in some cultures is what they would do when they would capture a city is they would leave some of the people there they would intermingle with them, their cultures, so you'd have the, it's uh, a, a poor term to use, but I don't know what, whichever one I want to use, but they, they became half-breeds. They were, were part Jewish, so they weren't wanted by anybody. They were kind of despised people, 
and they grew up with a chip on their shoulder, and, you know, rightfully so. So when the Jewish people came back, they had, the Samaritans had already kind of established themselves. They, you know, they thought it was there. They were the only survivors, and they probably had some resentment. So they opposed the Jews that were coming back. So the Jews got a little bit discouraged, and then they went to the king again of, of Syria, of Babylon, and he gave them permission to go back again and overruled it. Well, this went back and forth a few times. Then the governor that was over the area of Jerusalem opposed Jews, and the Jews just got tired about this time. They got tired of the opposition. You know, here's the deal. God gives deliverance, but every time he does, Satan opposes. Have you noticed that? You, you come to a place of victory and triumph, but you bang right into the old buck. He opposes you all the time. And the children of Israel got discouraged, and because of their discouragement, they began to develop a, a theology based on failure, and so they said, well, it must not really be God's will. Maybe somebody missed the ball somewhere. And so they attributed it. They attributed their failure and their inability to succeed. They attributed it to not being God's will. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? If we pray, he doesn't answer right away the way we want to. We, we, we come to this conclusion, well, it must not be God's will. That's really not a good place to be. If God's given you a word, you need to stick with the word. If he's not given you a, a direct word, then you need to stick to this word. And we know the character and nature of God. That is, that his children should not suffer and not be, uh, his children shall not be begging for bread. He want, His will is that you prosper as your soul prospers. Now, these are not my words. These are his words. Now, Satan's going to throw all kinds of opposition at you and say, yeah, well, you know, and you, listen, do you know that the devil knows the scripture? And he knows how to twist it really good. He even tried it out on Jesus. And you know what Jesus did when he when the devil threw scripture at him? Jesus didn't argue with the devil. Do you, you understand that? You don't have to argue with the devil. If you have the confidence in your heart of who you are and you understand your identity, you don't have to prove who you are to the devil. You don't have to prove nothing to him. You get what I'm saying? If if you are superior, listen, all of us here are adults. Have you ever been confronted by a bratty kid as adults? Have you ever con been confronted by a bratty kid? Do you have to try to argue and prove something to that little kid? How many of you waste your time arguing as a kid? Don't do it. You don't have to prove who you are. You're an adult. You don't have to prove it to them. And Jesus doesn't do that with the devil either. He just says, get thee behind me. You see that? He says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. <laughs> he even knows that he's the God over all. So he says to the devil, don't, don't, don't try to mess with me. So anyway, the children of Israel are opposed in going in. So they automatically come to the conclusion, well, it must not be God's will, and so they give up. And Zechariah was a man who came on behalf of the Lord to the children of Israel and says, you people need to stand up 
and understand the salvation of the Lord. Don't give up so easily. And so this book, amazingly, Zechariah has stuff in it. It's not a very long book, you know that? It's only, it's only uh, 14 chapters long. But locked up in this short little book are some things and some revelations that Zechariah has that are even that even prophesied beyond the day that we live into today. He covered a lot of history. So Zechariah, <coughs> he came to the children of Israel and in, in a way that was not just like, but similar to what Moses had to do, he had to help the children of Israel come to knowledge of who they were once again, had to be retrained all over again. And I have a feeling Hallelujah. You know, I, Liz and I don't collaborate on what I'm going to talk about. As a matter of fact, there are days where I will plan a sermon and then the Sunday morning before I get to church or when I get to church, God shifts changes the gears. Now, David drives a truck. He knows what it's like to shift gears. There's Well, God, so we don't collaborate, but boy, when she was saying some of the things she said this morning, she was hitting some nails on the head because, and I don't remember what they were now because I distracted myself, but um, you do not have to submit and succumb to the op opposition of the enemy in your life. If you understand who you are, you don't need to be encumbered by these things. So we have Moses who had to try to reestablish the identity of Israel, and then Zechariah comes along, has to do it all over again. But you see, every generation needs to come to a place where they need a prophet to help them. Now, after Zechariah, we have 400 and some years or so, and then Jesus comes on the scene and he does it all together a different way. He helps not just the children of Israel understand who they are, but he comes with salvation to a lost world who has lost their way. Because you understand that when God created man, he didn't create Adam was not Jewish. See? He is where we all come from physically, right? And humanity has lost the fact that were made in the image of God. That's why when Jesus came, he came. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see? And the world has lost identity and understanding that we were created in God's image. That's why we have a world that's such a mess today. Because Satan is attempting in every generation to cause mankind to not understand whose image they're created in. That's why we have such a mess going on in the world today. But Jesus has come to switch all that around. So he came to help all humanity reestablish their identity. And then Jesus said, I must go, but if I go, it's, in, it's, it's essential that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. But if I do go, the Holy Spirit will come, 
and he will lead and guide you into all truth. He'll give you power to be witnesses. Just an interesting side note. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be witnesses. Do you know what that word witness is in the original language? It's the word martyr. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to be a martyr. Well, that doesn't sound too good. I think I'd rather stick with a witness. <laughs> right? But God gives you the capacity to stand up and face, face death in the face and tell it what it is. See, you and I need to get to a place where we're not afraid of all things through Christ. We can live and we can die, but we'll be victorious. Do you understand? John, Apostle John, who was also the revelator, said, in him was life. Life is something that exists in God. There is no life. There's nothing, he says later in, the, in John chapter 1, he says, without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing that exists exists if, it, if God hadn't caused it to exist. Life comes from God. He's the only one that can give it, and he's the only one that can sustain it. He gave each one of us life. And you know what? I don't, now, when I turned 65, I got this amazing thing called Medicare. I'm being facetious. I never went to a doctor in my life until I got Medicare. Never, never, never. Well, I remember a couple of times I, I broke my arm once, had to get that set. I had to get a physical. I did that. But ordinarily, I didn't go. But do you understand that all the doctors and the medical plans that the world can give you are not going to be able to sustain your life? Only God sustains your life. He's the giver and the sustainer of life. Oh, you can do this and that to help you. Yes, God gives wisdom to people to help you prolong it, stretch it out a little bit. But, but ultimately, he is the one who gives and sustains life. Hallelujah. And if you can understand that life comes from him, then why would you go to anybody else to help you sustain what they themselves don't have the capacity to sustain? He is, in him is life. So, Jesus now sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us power to live. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit comes to help believers establish their identity once again. Because that seems to be the nagging problem of humanity that we forget who we are. Satan's good at that. You know, the other night, a lot of times I'll get up early in the morning, or I guess it, you could call it late at night, early in the morning, but 3 o'clock seems to be the kind of a time that I get up. And, uh, I got up and I was just, sometimes I just, to, you, do you understand, sometimes you need to just be quiet for the Lord. Don't, I, I was listening to Joseph Prince the other day, and he said two of the happiest days of his life when he dropped his phone in the toilet because he had no interruption for those two days. And uh, he said, Something that I've been doing, but not really understanding. He said, sometimes you need to just get alone without any distractions, without 
any noise, and don't even pray. Just be quiet. Just be quiet before the Lord. So that's what I'll do. A lot of times I'll just get up in the night and I'll just sit in my chair. And I'll be quiet. And that's when God talks. When I shut up and he talks. <laughs> People talk too much. I feel like that right now because I'm doing all the talking, right? But you just need to be. So I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there in the quiet and all of a sudden I hear a noise outside the window and it sounds like somebody is outside messing out the garbage cans or something. I hear water running and a hose going or something like that. I hear this water. What in the world is going on? So I try to look out the window and see, but it's dark out there and I can't see anything and I'm looking into the darkness trying to figure out what that noise is because I hear it hitting something like metal or whatever over here just wondering what is that? Did we spring a pipe or something? And I was about ready to go out and investigate and then all of a sudden I got the idea oh I know what that is. It's the neighbor's sprinklers were going off three o'clock in the morning. But I couldn't see it because I was looking through the window and it was dark. You know, the scripture says we look through a glass darkly. We, we just can't quite figure out the reality because all we have is a dark window to look through. And, and you know, when you don't have your vision, you have to rely on your other senses. But we look through a glass darkly because there are things in the spiritual realm that we just can't have access to with our natural eyes, but the Holy Spirit can give us revelation and can lead and guide us into all truth. So let's go back to Zechariah because Zechariah did something here. He did something here. Now let's, let's start with uh, verse number uh, let's, let's just do it this way. I'm going to not repeat depend on my notes who good here. I'm just going to do this by hand. He says in the book of Zechariah chapter 3 verse number 8. Now mind you, Zechariah is alive 400, 520 years ago before Jesus came along. But he says to the, he says here, verse number 8, Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, because it was Zechariah and Joshua who worked together to try to bring Israel back into their establishing narrative. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Now, they didn't understand what they were talking about exactly, but God was giving them, giving them a revelation. I'm going to bring somebody to you. His name is the branch. And that's all they could understand was the branch. Now, we know who the branch is today, don't we? Who's the branch? Jesus. And, of course, in the English language, we have words that we can play games with because they have multiple meanings or inferences. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, the same is true in every language. And in, in the Hebrew language, the word Nazareth, if anybody's from Nazareth, it's the word netzer, and that's the word for branch. So when Jesus came from Nazareth, you remember, you 
Remember one of the fellows came that they were saying, hey, you got to see this guy. You just met Jesus. He's an amazing thing. He's from Nazareth. And the response was, well, can anything good come from Nazareth? But they understood that Nazareth was a branch. And Jesus, I know it's a play on words, but Jesus came. He was the branch. And, of course, there's other theological studies we can go into. But, but wait, all I'm saying is that Zachariah had this vision. He was looking through a glass darkly, but he knew that God said, I'm doing a branch. He didn't really know what that meant, but we know what it means. It was the foretelling of Jesus coming, the branch. Then he says, and then he goes on into verse 4, and you know, a lot of times, see, Zerubbabel was the, Zerubbabel was one of the fellows that was instrumental in Israel to, that worked with Zechariah and with, with uh, Joshua in reestablishing. Zerubbabel was a, a leader that really didn't understand who his identity was either. And he thought, well, how is God going to use little old me to accomplish his will? And sometimes you and I get that way too, right? How is God going to do this? Yes, Pastor Dan is telling me God's going to use me and he's going to bring about victory in my life. Wants to, I think the sub is ready to dive, 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 dive. <coughs> it's okay. It's probably, it's probably the or just tell him I said hello. And so, so the rubble is thinking, how in the world is God going to use me? You and I, you and I are like that too, you know. We hear the pastor talking about how God wants to bring us into a place of victory, but we don't quite understand how we're going to do that. How is God going to do his work in me? So the so Zerubbabel gets a personal word from the Lord. What is it? It's in, in chapter number four, I say, verse, chapter four, verse number six. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. It's not going to be by might. See, some of us want to rely on strength. Whatever the source of that strength is. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. You see how God brings about the work in your life when you start to understand who you are? It's not going to be by might or by power that it comes to pass, but it's by the Holy Spirit living in you that's going to bring things to pass in your life. Do you see why it's so important for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not an accessory. You know what accessories are? I have an accessory. I have another accessory. Ladies got a whole lot more accessories than me because they like to accessorize. But the Holy Spirit's not an accessory. The Holy Spirit is a necessity. And it's not by might. It's not by power that you can do this. But it's by the Holy Spirit. And let you know what, ladies and gentlemen? Do you know where the Holy Spirit is? He's not somewhere out there. He's living in his temple. This is his temple. Now Israel was trying to build a, a earthy temple. But I'm telling you, you know what? Those temples ended up getting destroyed again. But you know what? There's a temple that nobody can destroy. Oh, don't be afraid of him that can destroy the body. One day the body's going to be destroyed. But you know what? Don't, don't even get fooled by that. Because this old body one day is going to be resurrected and made immortal. The 
loose morals and to put on immorality. Don't be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of death. Because it's by my spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And because and if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, he will quicken his whole more body. Hallelujah. He'll quicken it while you're alive and after you're gone. He'll quicken it. Well, I'm going to be cremated. That's not a problem to God. You understand that? What if a shark eats you? What if a bunch of sharks eat you? It's not a problem. Because God, by his Holy Spirit, is going to resurrect this old body. He's going to quicken it. How? Don't ask me how, because I don't know how. But he does, and that's all that matters. I don't have to know. It's not by might. And brothers and sisters, this is how you need to live your life. It's not by your good looks or your money or your strength or your influence. It's by the Holy Spirit that you live. It's by his Holy Spirit. That's why you need to have the Holy Spirit living in you. You need to have the Holy Spirit. He's not an accessory. He's what every believer needs to have. And Zechariah got a revelation of this to give to Zerubbabel. He said, it's not by might, not by power, not but by my spirit. And then he says to Zerubbabel, oh, Zerubbabel, <coughs> is there a mountain in your way? How many of you guys have mountains in your way? You got stuff that you're facing. Let's see, you've got issues in your life that are metaphorically speaking like mountains. Amen? How many of you got any mountains? It doesn't really look like there's any way to get this mountain out of the way. It's too high to go over, too big to go around. It's impossible to go through it. But Zerubbabel faced that kind of a mountain. And God said, you know what you need to do? You need to speak to that mountain, and that mountain will become a plain. It'll be level. Hallelujah. Start to speak to your mountains. That's what Liz was telling us today. Speak to your situation. It's like Reinhardt said. Don't tell God about your problems. Tell your problems about God. Hallelujah. That's what you need to do. You don't need to argue with the devil. You don't need to argue with impossibilities. You just tell them what the Lord says. Mind the about the future, which is coming up pretty fast. Amen? Not by might, not by power. Is there a mountain in your way? That mountain will become a level place. And then that guy goes on. <coughs> he begins to go on, and he, do you understand? Let me show you something really interesting. Go to chapter number oh, well, before I get to that just zip over to um, chapter number 8 <coughs> Zechariah saw something here that to us doesn't sound that big of a deal but when you consider that, that Israel, Jerusalem the city was totally devastated and destroyed and <coughs> leveled it was into a garbage dump it was, it was just totally devastated and it was uninhabitable. But Zechariah had a vision from the Lord in chapter number 8, verse number 5. It says, The street of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Now, that's a hard thing to imagine. But if you go to Israel today, you will literally find children 
playing in the street. Because Zechariah was able to see into the future. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, the prophets were able to see the future more clear than they did the present. And they were so persuaded about what they saw that they didn't even, they put very little um, thought into the present because their minds, their, their attention was, their vision was so keen about the future that the present didn't even seem true to them. This is how you and I need to start to walk, don't you think? Because, because the future to us, God's prophetic word for the future to us, seems to be so impossible, and only the possibilities are the present. You need to get to a place, and I do too, I'm not saying you because I know this stuff really good, but we all need to get to a place where we believe more in what we can't see than what we can. What God's word says than what reality says. Hallelujah! He saw children playing in the street. Now watch this. So Zechariah seen all this. I, I don't have time to go through this whole thing because Zechariah was an amazing fellow at seeing the present day. But I want to I want to just show you this interesting thing from history. Go to chapter number nine and verse number eight. Um <coughs> I will encamp around my house because the enemy because of the enemy, because of him that passeth by, and because of him that returneth, no oppressor shall pass through them any more from now, for now have I seen with my eyes. You heard the story of Alexander the Great, haven't you? <coughs> well, Alexander the Great he died at a young age. He was a young man. He was between 29 and 32, so he didn't live very long. But he did an amazing thing in his life. He conquered the then known world pretty much. And on one of his on one of his trips through the Middle East, he was gonna pass, he was he was conquering nations, impossible situations, and he was just he was he was annihilating armies that were impossible to annihilate. But he would go through with his white horse riding on his white horse and conquering the world. Well, on one of his trips through, he was going to be swinging past the city of Jerusalem on his way through the Middle East. And Jerusalem was, was about as hard to conquer as you stepping on a cockroach. And and Jerusalem knew it. Jerusalem knew we don't have a we don't have a snowball's chance of winning against Alexander. And so the priest said, What we're gonna do and Alexander the Greek comes, we're just going to walk out there, all dressed in our white priestly robes. We're just going to go out there and we're going to welcome him to the city. He won't expect that. Well, little did the high priest know, but that a couple of nights before, or a little while before, Alexander had a dream. And in his dream, an angel appeared to him and told him that he was supposed to just, that, that, well, the, he saw this angel all dressed in white and he recognized the face the angel. Well, when he came to Jerusalem, the priest, I priest, came out with all the people dressed in white. Alexander was taken back by that. And he jumped off of his horse, and he went over to the bodyguard, jumped 
walked off and wanted to go back. I'm going to go meet this fellow. And when he met the high priest, he said, your face is the face of the angel that I saw in my dream. Isn't that amazing? And so he, he promised them that he would do anything to harm them, and he went on his way and passed right by. Just, just like it says here in this verse, he passed right on by. He says, I will encamp about my house because of the army, because of him that passes by, and because of him that returneth, and no oppressor shall pass through them anymore. For now I have seen with my eyes. There was a prophetic word given to Zechariah that Israel would be spared from the conquest of Alexander. And you can read about that in the books, in the Jewish Talmudic books. They refer to this very incident. Now, <coughs> look at what it says in verse number 9. See if you can figure this prophetic word out. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes up to thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, the full of an ass. <coughs> All right, Bible scholar, who's, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Do you see Zechariah is proclaiming the entry of Jesus into the situation? My goodness, I have to hurry. Now, <coughs> I'm going to just go quickly here. I'm not going to be able to make it, but I'm going to give you a couple of verses. Verse number 12 says this, Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. I like that phrase, prisoner of hope. You know, most of us are prisoners, whether we want to admit it or not. Prisoners of something. Some, some things have our mind in captivity. They just seem to be constantly oppressing us. And a lot of us are imprisoned by hopelessness. We think that our situation is hopeless. <laughs> How many have ever felt like, this is hopeless. There's no way out of this. How would you like to be a prisoner of hope? Hallelujah. Turn to the stronghold. What's the stronghold? The name of the Lord is a strong power. The righteous run to it and are saved. Do you know that the name of Jesus is the place that you can run to? Hallelujah. Well, you could say all kinds of other names. But Satan has to bow. See, the scripture says, Every knee shall bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall Every knee shall bow. Everything in creation that's got a knee is going to bow. Everything that has a tongue is going to confess what? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. So what's a better place to run to than into the name of Jesus? Turn to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Behold, today I will give double unto thee. You know, whatever the devil has taken from you, <laughs> what does the Lord promise? I'll render double to you. So the next time the devil tries to bother you, say, look, pal, if you keep this up, I'm going to start, I'm going to get it back plus interest. Hallelujah! 100%. You're going to pay me double. So be careful what you try to take because I'm going to demand double back. The Lord's going to make sure I get it. What an encouraging thing. You see how Zerubbabel or how Zechariah is trying to build the people of Israel and get to reestablish their identity. I'm seeing this, I'm seeing the clock. 
So they're they're pushing me. But let me just go with a couple other things really fast and then we'll get because there's a couple points I want to give you. Do you know that the prophet Elijah, he was a good fellow, and the Jews love him today. They look forward to his even his return. Jesus said, if you believe it, Elijah's already Elijah's already come. He was talking about John the Baptist. Elijah goofed up at the end of his ministry. Do you know that? He he had defeated the prophets of Baal. He had he had seen the Lord come and consume the sacrifice. He'd seen many signs and wonders that God had given. By one ratchety woman. Her name was Jezebel. It's not a disparaging remark on women. I'm talking about it. There, there seems to be some kind of a burr that we get under our saddle. And Satan knows exactly which kind of a burr it is to put under your saddle. The burr that got under Elijah's saddle was this woman named Jezebel. And it so defeated him that he ran off and hid in the wilderness. And he got so discouraged that he wouldn't eat or drink, and God had to send him something to eat or drink. And do you know, it was because of that faithlessness, because Elijah was bellyaching to the Lord, and he said, God, I'm the only one left. Nobody in this place is believing. They're all a bunch of nuts, and I'm the only one that's prophesying. Nobody will listen to me. And God said, you big baby. I'm paraphrasing. See, he doesn't say this in the Bible. But God basically said, you know what? There are thousands that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. You're not the only one. They're just undercover. You're just a little bit out there. And so you're feeling the heat. But if you can't feel the heat, get out of the kitchen. I want you to go and appoint a successor because I can't use you anymore. You're too faithful. So you're too unbelieving. And God retired Elijah and brought Elisha onto the scene. Don't ever get to the place where your unbelief forces you into being retired by the Lord. No, 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 no. You, you know the scripture, John says this again. I love the first chapter of John. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Now, that sounds like a pretty bad comment, doesn't it? But there's one little three-letter word that always gets inserted, and it seems when that three-letter word comes in, that everything changes. He has received him. You see, he came to God, nobody received him, but there was a remnant. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. I want to be one of those people that's the remnant. There's always a remnant. And you and I ought to be part of that remnant who just have the audacity to not give up, but we will continue to believe what God says. Come hell or high water. We're going to trust in his word. Hallelujah. I know things look terrible. I know there's a mountain in my way, but I'm going to speak to that mountain, and God's word says it's going to become a plane. In Jesus' name. Now, you might not live long enough to see because most of the prophets didn't get live long enough to see. But they still believed even though they didn't see because they did see. And they believed what they saw more than what they 
see. Abraham, Jesus said, rejoiced to see my day. And he did. He saw it. And Abraham was so in He saw Jesus' day. He saw another man bring his son to the same mountain and offer him as a sacrifice and raise him from the dead. So when he took his son there, he had no problem because already he believed so much of what he saw that he was ready to sacrifice his son because he knew God would raise him from the dead too. You see, he had eyes that saw into the future and believed what God said. That's where he wants us to live. He wants us to live in the present, in the future. Hallelujah. In earth. Hallelujah. Not, not in the globe. Not in the, not in the terra firma. God's not... When it says God so loved the world, it doesn't mean he, he's a he, he's a tree hugger. You see, God what made out of made out of earth. So thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, not on earth. In don't get don't get so tangled up in this world. It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. That's what it says in the book. Amen? So you, if God so loved the world so much and the earth, why would he burn it up? Nobody loves people. That's what he loves. Running smack out of time. There's so much here. It might not seem like God's done too much in your life here in Port Charlotte, you know, I don't know how God's going to use me anymore, I'm already getting up in years, and I really don't have a whole lot to offer, it's, what's left is pretty little, how many have ever felt insignificant, well I want you to look at chapter number 4, verse number 10, chapter 4, verse number 10. Thou hast despised the day of small things. Don't despise the day of small things. There were times in your life where <coughs> you had the strength and capacity to think big. But now your thoughts are a little small. But don't despise the small things because God uses small things. For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hands of Zerubbabel. With those seven and on, and on it goes. Don't despise the day of small things. Hallelujah. I'm just going to zoom through here and see if there's something else that I want to tell you real quick before I pull the plug. Let, yeah, okay, quickly, quickly go, go to chapter number 12, verse 10, because the prophetic is going to come out in you right now. Chapter 12, verse 10. <coughs> watch how. Uh, watch how Zacharias in the future. I will pour out, pour out in the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall see upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as mourneth one for his only son, and it shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Who's the one that was pierced? Do you see Zacharias Zachari seeing Jesus? And he's seeing now, in a day, it's even beyond where we live 
because he sees the restoration of the children of Israel. Finally, one day, recognize the one who they pierced and saved. It was him all along. It was Jesus. Do you understand? There's a revival coming to the Jewish people. Hallelujah. Praise God. But you know what? It's not going to happen until the day of the Gentiles is going to fulfill. And you're a Gentile. Don't you let this day slip past you without getting things right with the Lord. Because once he turns, you know, it's like somebody gave the example. Remember those old telephones that had buttons and then there was the red button? You could hit it, it was the hold button. How many, do you remember those? You could push the hold and then you could go to a different line and pick up another call. You remember? Some people don't remember this. But you know what? God pushed, God was on the phone with the Jews. And then a call from the Gentiles from Macedonia came in. You know? So he, he hit the hold button and he picked up line two. And he's been on the line with us ever since. But the light's still blinking. Because the Jews are just on hold. Until he's finished with this phone call, then he's going back to line one. Hallelujah! Woo! So don't you mess up on this phone call. Get your business dealt with. Hallelujah! So, anyway, that's just a... Okay, I'm, I'm going to... Don't... Let me just read this. So that I don't miss something. The prophets believed more in what they saw in the future than what they saw in the present, even though the present contradicted their vision. This is where we live in true victory. It was this that brought the great prophet Elijah to a place where God said, I can't use you anymore. Look for and God looked for a replacement. Don't come to, a point to that point. Trust and stay usable. Trust in God and stay usable. Hallelujah. Now it's 12 o'clock. You can stick with me for a couple more minutes. You've told us to do something here, and so we're going to do it in, in, in obedience to the word because there's something powerful about to take place. So as we go into this time of communion, I pray that you'll bring us together and bring about the revelation of what this means in Jesus' name. Would you come quickly and get your communion cup? Well, grab one for somebody that's next to you to save them a little time. And so they can't move or whatever. Help each other out. Come and get your communion. We're going to do this. We don't want anybody to be left out. So if there's somebody back here, let's make sure that they get it too. If somebody will see to that. I think the children's church. You know, Jesus took the bread and he broke the bread. It was all in one piece. It was all one piece of bread. You know that? And he took that bread and he broke it into a bunch of pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he gave that bread, that one loaf of bread, broken into a bunch of pieces. He gave it to everybody in the room. And in eating that bread, we talked about this last week. We've got five left. Is anybody missing? And we've got more if you need them. Did anybody get left out? Jesus took that loaf of bread, broke it up into a bunch of pieces, 
He said, this is my body. This was one unit. Now it's broken up, and it's in you. Now you are my body. And as we partake it, we bring that loaf back together again into one body. You understand how that works? So when we partake of this bread, now I know this is the modern version, <coughs> but in the olden days, we used to break the bread up into pieces. And that one piece of bread became part of everybody's body. Because you know what happens when you eat stuff, it becomes part of it, right? It's what causes flesh, blood. And that one piece of bread caused life in every individual. So in one way, we all shared the same body. Last week we went into depth talking about the fact that we are the body of Christ. Because his body, we are his body. He cares a lot about his body. He resurrected it from the dead. And so you and I have everything accessible to what he has. Do you understand that? You are hidden together with Christ in God. Hallelujah. So when we take this bread, be careful not to open the wrong side. Take this bread, and when we do it, in remembrance of what he did for us, it's not, it's not what he did for him, it's what he did for us. See, he didn't do it so you'd feel sorry for him. He did it so you could understand and reestablish your identity. So this is a helpful, tangible reminder to reestablish who you are. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. The fathers, we partake of this bread. I pray says, by your stripes, we are healed. So in Jesus' name, I ask for a healing, a unity, a bringing together of your body in this place. In Jesus' name, shall we pray? to the bed together. Lord, I receive your healing. I receive your life. In Jesus' name. And after he after supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup is now the new way of doing things. You've been used to doing it a different way. I show you a better way. Jesus said, I'm going to show you a better way. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood, not lamb's blood, because all lamb's blood does is procrastinates. It puts the sin off. It's like the deferment on a loan. Yeah. But this pays the thing off once and for all. So when you take this, it doesn't have to be done every year like the priest said do. It's once for all. This is the New Testament in my blood. Often as you do this, remembering what I did for you, I shed my blood for you. And the life of the flesh, we just ate the flesh, the life of that flesh is in the blood. So Lord, we receive your salvation. Oh my goodness. This is so wonderful. I wish I didn't have to hurt through it. Cleansing them. Sin. And Lord, there are still people in our lives who have been hoodwinked by the devil and are still living 
place of sin. I know what you did for me, but I'm going to take this by faith for them so that your blood will cleanse them from their unrighteousness and they will come back in Jesus' name. I pray for restoration, for revival, for mission, that you're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus as we partake of this cup, signifying your blood, that a mighty revival will begin to sweep through this earth in Jesus' name, that the kingdoms of the earth shall become the kingdoms of our God, of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In Jesus' name, shall we partake of that cup? How many love Jesus today? Lord, I pray for this word that's been spoken to find a good, good soil bed to grow in now, this incorruptible word of God in Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Hallelujah. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You shall bring forth fruit in your season, even in your season of where you are right now. Your leaf will not wither, and whatever you do will prosper. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, unto him who is able to keep you from falling and is able to present you faultless before the kingdom of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and honor and dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a good afternoon. Get a good nap. See you tonight at 6.30. Thank you.